Welcome to Gin Cult. Gin, gin cult? I mean, I'm not mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Gin Cult. <laughs> Welcome to Gin Soul, a podcast that brings you backstage into the private dressing room of two international showgirls. Except we aren't backstage. We're in our PJs, in a pandemic, unemployed. Ever wondered how our costumes sparkle and our tampon strings stay hidden? Then join us as we chat bulletics and boas, nipples and tipples, shame versus game. I'm Lolo Brow, international award-winning parental disappointment. And I'm Tempest Rose, diva, showgirl, liability, cunt. Together we are colleagues, frenemies, bad influencers, and most importantly, we are bored. <laughs> I mean, we are ginsult. Each week, Tempest and I will discuss, debate, and downright disagree on some new topics ranging from burlesque history and its empowering past through to tricks we have learned to not fall off the stage to our deaths. The best bit is that these themes are chosen by you, dear listeners, live every Thursday on Instagram. So get involved. No one likes a watcher. Now, before we dive in, Tempest and myself have worked in an 18 plus industry for life. So please expect some strong language and adult themes. So let's begin. Jinso, when you on a whim choose a theme and then instantly regret it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Jinsold, because no great ideas were born over a bottle of water. Chin salt because no good story starts with salad. Ah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well done. Okay, cool. So now we're in sync. <clears throat> You're done. Chin salt because if you can't insult your friends, then how will they know you love them? Ah, that's actually quite nice. Um, my one is gin salt, the nicotine patch to our employment. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I thought it was quite poetic. It's lovely. Mm, hello. Wonderful listeners, we spoke to you yesterday. We were on Instagram Live with you lovely folks. Thank you for joining us. We gave you the option of classic versus neo and the other option, which was the risk of burlesque. And you voted for the risk of burlesque. Now, what is the risk of burlesque, you ask? We didn't know until about... <laughs> 10 hours ago so this is gonna be a fun episode <laughs> why don't i start with defining what the word risk means and then tempest you can take us away with a little bit of what burlesque is go for it yeah all right so risk as the actual definition uh, of the noun is a situation involving exposure to danger that's it Ooh. nice and easy so i like to think of burlesque as that cousin that the whole family pretends isn't in the family. Or like <gasps> the aunt that you know you're related to, but you don't really want it in your house. But all your kids love. I mean, we don't have kids. But if we did, that might be the scenario. In fact, what I'm saying makes no sense because we are that aunt, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> we are that cousin. Yeah. We're not the ones whose house it is. And what I mean by that is, in general, over history... Women on stage were thought of as scandalous whores anyway. So historical burlesque queens were rebels of their time. They owned their own bodies. They earned their own money. Successful burlesque performers earn bucket loads of cash. Obviously, that's not the standard for all burlesque performers, but very much they stood their ground and had control of their lives and their bodies in a society where that was incredibly rare for women. Now, the same is true nowadays to a lesser extent, but back then, even more so, burlesque performers were absolute kick-ass badasses who lived by their own rules and who didn't give a shit what anybody thought of them. They were fearless, they were rebellious, they were passionate, and they were legends. And we do call burlesque performers of the original era legends. They are incredibly inspirational badass women. And lots of people study their work, listen to recordings of them, and study their lives. Nice. I just come in with a dictionary definition. You come in with like a fuck on pep talk. It's just like, whoo. <laughs> it's, like, it's great. Once you get warmed up, once there's lube on your bone, you're ready to go. It's good. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That lube got, <laughs> couldn't quite get the lube out of the packet. Yeah. I had to shade the bottle a little bit, bang yeah. it on the ends. And yeah. then it just, it splotted all over my mouth. <laughs> and then my tongue just went for it. It's great. There we go. I've woken up, hopefully. <laughs> Thank oh, fucking a, God. That's a metaphor that we're here for. Yeah, I'm, there we go. I'm, I'm happy for you. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy for me too. Otherwise, it's going to be a long hour. <laughs> you know, it always is. <laughs> Let's an hour three. 
So, dear wonderful listeners, the beautiful discussions of the risk of burlesque. Obviously, we told you about what risk is, what burlesque has been seen as in the past. But we will be discussing an absolutely huge range of topics. And this is probably the biggest topic we've done in our whole three episodes. (laughs) So buckle in. We'll be ranging a discussion from the risk of burlesque in the way that Tempest has spoken about, right through to the risk of uh, how our personal lives have been affected and how society views us today. So, what topic would you like to start with, Tempest, out of all of that? Well, should we get the mundane stuff out of the way, which is the onstage risk. Ah. The dreaded risk assessment. Ah. The thing that you discover is actually part of the totally kick-ass, badass world that you thought you were entering into. Yeah, because no one understands that our work is around about 10% onstage. The rest of it is backstage. And some of that backstage is in our living rooms, shouting at a screen, asking why do I have to fill in this very specific risk assessment form about walking across the stage? Why do men behind certain curtains think that we can't walk in heels without tripping over an electrical wire and killing the entire audience? (laughs) It's a stressful job. Now, uh, risk assessment, we'll go briefly into what it is. But before that, we will state that every performer should have public liability insurance oh my god yes this is very important and this is one of the pet peeves that tempest and myself have is when we find out performers do not have this this is very important and if you're a performer listening to us now get it done it is not expensive it will save your ass you need it because it is important i thank god have never had to use it have you had to use yours i haven't but every day i am happy that i have it and yeah Mm. absolutely backing up what you say and also you know you can't apply for some jobs without approving your risk assessment it's absolute madness to not have it Mm. No, it's incredibly important. And those of you who are not familiar, public liability insurance basically is protection for performers in case something goes wrong with you on stage and affects the public. So it's that really important thing. And it's quite easy to get it through equity. Uh, there is also Rightshaw. Uh, there's loads of companies. Reese Ashley, is that one as well? Lots of places. I don't know. Google. <laughs> Google it. Google it. But it's really important. And I am so shocked when I run shows and I'm like, so can you send me your um, personal liability? They're like, what now? And you find out a performer that has been working alongside you for three years does not have insurance to cover their ass in case they stab someone in the face with a stiletto. Nah, it's a problem. Admittedly, that's not exactly how the insurance works. So don't have it and then go stab someone in the face with a stiletto because it will not cover your ass for that. <laughs> it will just kind of like make it easier not to die in court. <laughs> One of my favourite things is reading burlesque risk assessments because I just think they're hilarious. I mean, risk assessments within the burlesque world include things like Lolo said, accidentally (laughs) kicking off a heel and hitting someone in the head, tripping over some glitter, slipping on a glove, accidentally in a glitter pool getting glitter in your eye or the eye of someone else. The things that go on a burlesque (laughs) risk assessment are hilarious. Getting stuck in your costume. (laughs) Falling off stage is the top one on everything. It's like falling off stage. And bear in mind that people think that we perform on these grand, incredible stages. There are at least three stages that are barely a foot off the ground. So it's beautiful when you have to fill in a risk assessment for those. I have to fill in quite a lot of risk assessments, but that is because of what I do, where I do fire and sideshow and things like that. A lot of the time people ask for risk assessments. Don't read them because there's definitely a note in there that would suggest they would contact me if they had read them properly, but some of them don't, which I love. I like filling in risk assessments because you get to find out how many different ways you can die and how many different ways you could kill someone. It's really interesting. Literally, death by glitter is something I've had to consider on every single show. It is so fascinating. Glitter is a freaking health and safety risk. It is a terrifying danger. If you are a new performer listening to this, please spend some time finding out what glitter you're using because fine glitter is one of the most dangerous things. You may as well take that lube we took at the beginning of the episode, swim it all over the floor and belly flop onto it like a penguin in a happy orgy because (laughs) glitter is the worst. Penguin in a happy orgy is going to be my favourite thing for June. Are we in June? Yeah. Oh, thank God, we're in June. Okay. <laughs> Genuinely wasn't sure then. Because <laughs> that is what this lockdown has got to. Time. 
The other thing is, I think there's a weird public perception, misconception, that we engage in things like body oils. Hells no! Again, if you are a new burlesque performer, do not oil your skin. Obviously, moisturise, but first of all, your stockings will fall down if you're wearing them, or your hold-ups, and secondly, again, if you are doing any kind of floor work with any kind of oily substance on your body, no, it's dangerous as hell. Yeah, it's an absolute nightmare. Was there is something that people use? Oh, talcum powder. That also drives me up the wall. Oh, really? How come? Well, because if you lose so much of it, a lot of like stages and floor aren't like smooth. They're like grainy. So then what the talcum powder does is fill in the gaps of the grainy floor and then makes it smooth it's so dangerous oh my god yeah you're absolutely right we have a powder puff routine as lolo obviously knows because it closes some of our shows and the the discussions we had to have about how to do that i mean dear listener if again you're not coming from our world it will blow your mind to know the hours we spend what to use how to apply it it's slippy should we use something like flour instead some people are allergic to that so we can't put it into the air because it's really dangerous is there something else we can use well talc is probably the safest thing how do we apply it how does it get rubbed in how do you hold it where do you put the bottle how much should you put down these are genuine conversations that we have had for hours and hours and hours you wouldn't even believe it yeah and also going into allergies and having genuine discussions about allergies Mm. one of the things you really need to consider i watched a young performer almost shove a chocolate down someone's throat who was allergic to nuts (gasps) oh and this person was screaming i'm allergic to nuts and this performer was like Oh and I'm like, goodness. no, 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 no. You would never come back from that. And you could have killed someone. I love the way I put the career first before someone's death. I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> your career will be dead and a human, but your career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, food. Food, yeah, comes up a lot. Giving out food during acts. And I'm always like, okay, but again, you know, especially nowadays, allergies, people don't know what's in it. This is such a nightmare. Why not make life easier for yourself and maybe not do that? And I remember when I started being like, I'm going to give out sweets or I'm going to give out this thing because it seems like an easy way to fill time. But actually, when you get to our level of endless risk assessments, it's a massive headache. Oh, yeah, it's a massive headache. Um, And it is an interesting discussion because it's a case of if like for example, the person that was screaming, I have a nut allergy. The same way I would never eat anything given to me off stage because I am full on hipster wanker and I am highly intolerant to gluten. And I know that I would never eat that. So there's there's an element of like audience responsibility. If you know that you're severely allergic to something, you do not Mm. eat it unless it is given to you with a freaking warning prescription of any kind. But at the same time, it doesn't negate the responsibility of a performer who's just shoved and possibly a nut contaminant down your throat. Oh my God. I had words. Oh, I'm not surprised. That is terrifying. I wasn't even in the show. I was in the audience. Went backstage. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) So aside from physical risks, which as you can see, come from places you might never consider, dear listener, if you aren't familiar with the minutes of our world, there is a risk on stage, I think, which doesn't go with risk assessments, obviously. And that is of offending people. Now, when I'm talking about offending people, I mean accidentally saying things or doing things that can touch a nerve in a way that you cannot anticipate and unfortunately just come of the job because we can't sanitize our industry and we are a live art form and we're definitely in this going to get to the risks of burlesque as a whole burlesque being a controversial art form we you know some people find our very existence (laughs) offensive and uh, you know tough I'm not gonna sanitize that but have you ever upset someone during a show sort of through no fault of your own and I will tell you a story of what I had yes by existing oh really there's a story that I always tell where a man stands up in the middle of my set as I'm comparing and goes you're a woman <laughs> and then storms out <laughs> yeah that totally cancels one <laughs> it was one of my favorite moments because I stood there and the rest of the audience were all just like did he not see that coming I've been naked twice already <laughs> so was it you're a woman As in he's surprised or you're a woman as in you shouldn't be behaving that way. I think it was a shock that I was a woman and then I shouldn't be doing this. I'm a woman. I think it was both. It was definitely both. Oh, that is magic. (laughs) Yeah, it was also a purely drag show as well. So Ah. they obviously were very upset that I was there because, yeah, we are not allowed still in a lot of spaces. Yeah, that is a... 
crazy but i i understand if i'm right you know female to female drag is still very controversial still massively controversial but you know it's all lols about you so what's the what's the what's the deal tell me so one time years and years and years ago when i was hosting i was at a very small supper cabaret oh, Velocto. i needn't not to mention them it's not a secret and also they don't exist anymore they don't exist anymore <laughs> sadly it was a great space uh, and i was chatting to the audience as you do when you're hosting and i said to this couple oh out on a date having a lovely evening what do you do because as a compa you kind of need to ask these questions to get to the bands and you are trying to read people you know who'll take a joke and who won't take a joke and what do you do and the guy told me that he was unemployed I was like, oh, that's shit. You know, lucky you, you've got this lovely lady to take you out for a lovely dinner. Something along those words. Would that seem controversial to you? Well, I shit you not. She then burst into tears and proceeded to cry for the whole of the rest of the show about how I'd humiliated them by bringing up the fact that he wasn't working and couldn't afford to take her out to dinner, which wasn't at all what I said. I just was trying to get out of an awkward conversation. And the venue gave them a couple of free drinks and asked me if I'd apologise. And I said no, because I haven't said anything that's offensive. She's just clearly upset about the situation but that's not my fault and that was uh yeah super awkward that is hard and there is a really interesting discussion there that you kind of brought up and i think you're gonna hate me for continuing up that <laughs> enjoy <coughs> right oh, saddling. So, here we go it's <laughs> right it's not like we shouted each other just before this recording we got out <laughs> of our system it's fine so when you say it wasn't your fault that she got offended, I actually agree with you in the sense that there was obviously something going on that upset her um, and it, mm. it brought up a thing. But how do you measure intent versus effect? Affect, even. Um, oh, that is a really tricky question. I think had I said, oh, so what are you saying? You can't even take your woman out to dinner. Not making any money, are you, love? Have to rely on this woman to pay for you. Now, I would never say that. But obviously, that for me would be the moment where had I said that, she could have blamed me for her offence. Mm. But merely saying, aren't you, aren't you lucky or something like that? You've got this wonderful woman take you out for a nice night out, cheer you up or something. I can't remember word for word what I said, but that would have been the extreme of it. So yeah, to me, that's not the same thing. I mean, contrast that with I've seen drag queens say, oh, you're not eating tonight. Can't you afford it? And the whole room erupts in laughter. So <laughs> I would never say something like that because I consider that really offensive. But obviously that performer gets away with it. So I just thought the contrast between the two was hilarious. And that was a male performer who said the second comment. <laughs> so mm. whether gender has anything to do with that, I don't know. Oh, we we know it does. Yeah, we do. I don't know why I'm lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's not lie. There is a reason I pretend to dress up as a man, dress up as a woman. I can get away with a fuck ton more license yeah madness yeah no i'm just interested because it's like it's the discussion that happens in our industry all the time where people are like well i didn't mean to offend them so why are they getting upset and then mm. i'm talking about uh where a very niche group of white cis men uh still try and make jokes around like sexual assault and things like that Ugh. and that sort of situation where it's like well i didn't mean to upset them but they're upset so i was just kind of poking your little 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 horse to see if there was anything along those lines <laughs> because how do you measure it and how do you measure exactly i feel that is quite a blurry area for some reason yeah it is a blurry area i wonder if it shouldn't be though and we should definitely do a episode on censorship I'll put that on the list because I think oh. this will fall into that category. How do you censor things? Because I think we can agree some subjects not necessarily are no go, but you better make damn sure that your joke is laughing at the right group of people or as we say in the industry not punching down mm. um, and that's very very tricky on a lot of topics and a lot of people or the majority of people touching them would just do well to leave them alone and I don't consider that censorship that's just responsibility on stage yeah that's just not being a dick yeah smart humor comes from understanding research so if you don't have research or understanding of a topic and how it affects the group it does then maybe you're not smart enough to do it Kind of my opinion. Yeah, 100%. So, Lola Brow, can I ask you a question? No. Good. Uh, then this podcast is redundant. Um, <laughs> uh, talking about artistic risk, what is your riskiest act? Ooh, that's a good question. 
Um, my riskiest act is probably how to be a man. People listening, I do an act which is a reverse strip. Um, I start most of the time I tend to start it fully nude because as we discussed in the last episode it's my way of being happy and I think it also is very important for this act I start naked and I start dressing in man's clothing so boxers and trousers and things like that as much as that is very much a cliche that exists in our industry this uh, dressing up as a man motif is a thing I spend a lot of time lip syncing things that I found in my research into pickup artists. I used to review dating websites and in turn had to spend a lot of time researching dating advice and things like that. So I spent a lot of time listening to pickup artists. I strongly recommend that if you need fuel for your anger tank, that you just type in pickup artist into YouTube. Just type it in and you'll be like, rim, 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 I'm going to fuck shit up today. <laughs> Honestly, have a lovely time. So yeah, it's 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 gruelingly painful. And what it is, is a, a lot of it is men discussing how to con women into sex and how specifically their masculinity has to be of a certain way to con women into sex. It is really toxic and it is horrible and painful to listen to. I do this act where it's, it's this treatment of women and this treatment of a commodity that you're trying to achieve whilst also dressing up as a man and then questioning the concepts of masculinity and also my own masculinity that exists in my everyday life. And then I hammer a moustache into my nose and I staple chest hair onto my chest. So it goes from being quite dancey and kind of comedy slapstick into blood and gore. And I love it because it makes people feel uncomfortable. Um, and that's where I'm happy sometimes. What about you? I really like the idea you described how to be a man. We don't use it a lot at House of Burlesque because it kind of needs a particular type of setting, I think. But it is definitely one of my favourites. Ah, you have hired it for some weird spaces, though. You hired it for the um, Piccadilly venue. I did, yeah. A couple of times. <laughs> And I remember being like, is she fucking serious? And I remember that's one of the moments where I was like, I love working for this company because they're like, yeah, we'll do this like wonderful show that's to quite a touristy mm. audience in the middle of Piccadilly Circus. We're like, yeah, let's fuck shit up. <laughs> let's Go do on. It. Hammer shit Go into on. your face. Go on. Do it. Do let's it. Let's see. Let's see who walks out. <laughs> but I love that act because I've performed it all over. For some reason, it's one of my most popular acts, which is great because i love doing it and my favorite was a sex party in tel aviv that's random yeah so <laughs> random i got flown out there to do that one act wow okay and i spent three days there which was interesting and it was it was an interesting time this was many 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 moons ago this is probably about five years ago that's not many moons i'm young and a man who spoke no english came up to me afterwards and his girlfriend translated that he was very, very moved and he felt that he had been a part of that scene and he felt very empathetic and passionate about the subject. Admittedly, I'm massively elaborating his words because it was all translated and it may have been mistranslated, but I'm walking away going, I'm an artist. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's a really, really interesting act and I can definitely, I thought that would be the one you would choose because, yeah, some people probably find it too much or offensive or like, you know, you do, you nail things into your face, you staple gun stuff to your skin. It is, it's quite shocking in that way and I imagine a lot of people find that difficult to watch. Mm. And I think people find dismantling toxic masculinity difficult to watch as well. <gasps> Shit the bird. I know. <laughs> What about you? What's your riskiest? Uh, it's got to be Gypsy. Uh. Uh, so those of you not familiar with our work, my Gypsy act is a tribute to Gypsy Rose Lee. Gypsy Rose Lee was famous for talking to her audience while she'd do a striptease, discussing perceptions of burlesque performers, in particular the fact that people presumed she was stupid, essentially, and that women who did this job were stupid. And so I rewrote a modern version, talking on stage, doing a striptease, questioning, you know, what is burlesque? Do we still have these prejudices against women? And kind of discussing my my route into burlesque and what it means to me and it's about 12 minutes long and you see a number of men who have decided that that is the exact time that they need to have a cigarette go to the bar go to the toilet now before anyone jumps in at home on their own listening to this and goes oh well, they might have just needed to go to the toilet you don't know that they're walking out of there listen i've been doing this job for 12 years and i've come there as well so i'm on stage for a long time and i know the normal 
amount people get up to go to the toilet and go to the bar and have a cigarette. And I know the number of times and the type of person that does it during Gypsy. <laughs> and that is that they find it difficult, the things that I'm talking about, and the fact that I'm talking whilst doing a striptease, I think subconsciously jars with a lot of people. It's risky for me because I have to hold their attention for a really long time whilst I'm talking about stuff that's quite personal and that I find quite emotional and I feel really passionate about. And and the risk at my end is, you know, keeping them engaged and making sure they feel a connection to what I'm saying. And people find it difficult. People walk out. One of the reviews that we got was, uh, oh, Tempest, stop talking so much. Just enjoy it. <laughs> Which I think says so much about that kind of mindset. Oh, it, that still makes me <laughs> physically... Oh, it's infuriating. It is so infuriating. It's insane, isn't it? And somebody else I know, and he said this is a joke, but within every joke, there's there's a truth. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. God, that act. 12 minutes of body posy panda and I haven't even seen a tit yet. And... <laughs> really funny like he knew how to wind me up so I I wasn't offended when he said it but again there's something in that (laughs) I haven't even seen a tit and I've had to listen to a fucking TED talk about body positivity (laughs) also can we also just really appreciate the body posy panda yay body posy panda body posy panda (laughs) oh yeah no it is it is a lot and it's just like ugh but i love the act i think it's great and i also i can vouch for someone who is around during the act and has been in the room at the back of the room when it goes down because of some reason i'm going on stage at some point i'm not sure why Uh, because we used to have venus after it yes oh my god yeah in 2.0 so you guys were yeah so we would be standing at the back of the room where the audience would have to exit from and you would see essentially white men very uncomfortable and just kind of sneak out or just be like oh this is this is the moment that i'm gonna go for a piss because i don't want to listen to this person and they'd have to push past 10 burlesque girls to get out i mean like we were blocking the exits so it was awkward as hell and we would make them know it was awkward as hell it was fun (laughs) Be like, oh, you're leaving now, are you? It's just about to get really good. They're like, oh, it's like, okay. <laughs> I didn't come for the talking. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it when men are angry or uncomfortable that they lose all consonants? I don't know. I think it just makes it more fun to take the piss out of them. People sometimes, not as often, but who try and kind of banter with me during that speech as well. Again, I think it came from a discomfort because most people who are kind of in it are like shutting up and listening. And it's this weird thing of, uh, she's been talking for a long time, so I feel like I have to talk. No women do this. If you wonder again, if I'm being biased, like no woman has ever heckled me or tried to bounce with me during Gypsy. It does not happen. So they, they don't want to listen or they feel that they have to insert themselves into it or they're uncomfortable. So they want to show that they're like down with it. One time during Gypsy, this guy for a significant proportion until I had told him to shut up. And in the end, security had to tell him to shut up. Was like, yeah. Woo! That's right. Yeah. Or like stuff like that. And (laughs) just shut up and listen. But again, it's that level of discomfort, I think. I don't know if that's discomfort. I think it's just the simple fact that they want us to think, they want their opinion to still matter, even though it's your opinion and they're agreeing with it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's like, mate, just shut up for five seconds in your life. Just shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right. (sighs) I was being too nice there. Fuck them. You are being far too nice. And I don't understand why. We agreed that we were no longer going to be nice during this episode. That's true. Shut the fuck up during my gypsy act. Otherwise, you're a fucking arsehole. You're a cunt. Yeah. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Oh, and also, maybe if you are watching it, maybe just bear in mind that when you are doing that, that behind there is 10 burlesque girls standing behind you waiting to go on stage. Not only are you holding us up in these weirdly uncomfortable costumes, you are dissing our friend. We will come for you. <laughs> we will find you. And at that moment, we all had paintbrushes in our hand. <laughs> Don't know what we're going to do with it, but we'll do something. They were very pointy. Mm. Yeah, on, straight on the risk assessment. Wow, that was... <laughs> ooh, ooh. Did you fill out risk assessments for the paintbrushes? 
I didn't fill in the risk assessments for that show. Uh, my uh, producing uh, colleague did, and I suspect they probably had to. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. Well, that's a, a riskiest. That's a good one. Well, if we're going to do that, then I don't know if this is a question, but what's the greatest risk that you've taken as a burlesque performer? Mm, good question. Uh, I mean, the greatest risk overall would be the risk to start to start House of Burlesque and to produce shows, which is, I guess, a nice segue into financial risk. And I suppose I took two risks of that. The first one was, like I say, the financial risk of putting on shows, which is an interesting subject matter. I think people think that the majority of shows are paid for by the venue. And I've lost count of the number of times. I think even somebody said to me, it's like, you know, because obviously Sway pays you to put on the show. Excuse me? No. <laughs> Like 92% of the stuff that House of Burlesque does is my personal risk as the producer. There's not money coming from another source. We're not paid to put on the show. That does occasionally happen and it's lovely. And I do have that relationship with one venue, but that's rare. And I don't think that's as understood to the extent that it should be both within our industry and outside it. Performers also need to understand this. The person who is putting on the show is reaching into their own pocket and risking their money to put this show on. I remember a performer once said to me who wanted to start putting on shows, you know, how do I decide the show budget? And I said, well, a show budget is the amount of money that you're prepared to put your hand into your pocket and pay if you don't make any money, if it doesn't sell or, or, you know, if it gets cancelled or all of those things. And she, she looked kind of shocked, I guess, just because she'd never really thought of it that bluntly before. But but that is what a show budget is. How much yeah. money have you got in your bank account that you're willing to spend personally? Yeah when it all comes down to you. So there was the risk of that side of it. And then there was also a risk. So I started House of Burlesque with another performer called Lola LaBelle. So when she asked me to, if I wanted to be a business partner with her, I was just getting into that hot spot, which we've covered on one of our live gin cells before, that point where as a solo artist, everybody's suddenly like, ah, who's Tempest Rose? We need to book her. You're getting into like, like you're just getting known, you're just getting into your groove. And I knew that by starting this company, I would take away some of that momentum in my solo career. And the risk I took was that I would get further as a soloist if House of Burlesque was successful than I would just by being Tempest Rose. But it was a risk, a gamble. Burlesque, uh, well, producing is gambling. I realised this years ago, um, which is odd because I hate gambling, but I love producing. And uh, so that was the risk artistically that I took, that I would have a better career in the long run with my company than had I just gone, no, the most important thing to me is being Tempest Rose, having my solo career. That was my biggest risk, I think, in my career. That's a really interesting one. And I think the financial discussion around shows, because I would agree, my biggest risks are taking on uh, shows and developing them. Um, And that's right from the beginning with like Derangium years and years and years ago. And people don't understand that producing is a journey Mm. and learning to take greater risks, understanding how to manage your budget and things like that. And there are things that are ways of reducing that financial risk. Uh, One of the things we do see is a lot of profit share shows, um, which are great in some aspects because they provide spaces for people to try things and for new performers to get a ground in and they are quite accessible. But there's also shows that shouldn't be profit share shows that should be guaranteed fee, mm. but the producers aren't willing to risk their own money. Yeah. And that I find insulting mm. sometimes. There's a lot of uh, pressure on a producer and I understand, but it's a whis- risks that worth taking. Oh God, the things I fucking learned is great. Oh, awful, awful. Like I want to cry sometimes and i've had friends who try producing and then call me crying and (laughs) i then send text messages to tempest just bitching about read the email and it's it's infuriating but it's it's a massively rewarding thing and the people don't understand that these things do not just exist we have to create them from nothing and the first thing we do is sit down and go how much am i prepared to lose Mm, yeah and that's the first start and then as you get on that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the risk itself is smaller but the more you're risking is bigger yeah which is great and it's exciting i i don't like gambling either i hate gambling but i love producing yeah sometimes (laughs) 
Um, another risk of producing uh, pops into my head, and I think it's the risk of losing friendships. And this exists, I think, in lots of careers because my husband was a really great help to me when I first started producing in terms of all of a sudden, you at first, when you start, you obviously tend to book people that you either work with a lot and or your friends because you, in our industry, tend to be friends with people that you work with a lot. And all of a sudden, you're moving into a position where you're their manager, for want of a better word, or to use a word that most people understand. It's not quite that simple a relationship. And that is a risk, um, a risk that those friendships won't survive, an emotional risk it's the hardest thing I've ever learned in my career is learning how to manage people essentially because the other thing is in our industry you don't get sent on a management training course <laughs> like if you're in another more structured industry there is some kind of help there are techniques that work better than others and we have to learn this on the job along with a whole host of other things and the only way you can learn it is by going through it and it's hard and it's lonely and it's upsetting and it's painful and it likes me hand on heart the hardest thing I've ever had to do and I made tons of mistakes and uh, I came out the other side um but that was a massive risk I think on a personal level oh my god we were supposed to disagree in this episode we were supposed to create drama we were supposed to have discussions about how we really disagree and debate over topics and I'm like oh my god I feel so seen it is and it is really hard we're risking opening our hearts ah vulnerability (laughs) and strength no I fully agree with everything you said actually it was kind of a little bit emotional just like yeah that is really true you do risk it and there is relationships that struggle and friendships that struggle um because of being in a manager position and one thing like that you really touched on is that no one has taught us how to do this there is no course we did not get a degree and also the other thing we didn't get a promotion no yeah. one saw how well we're doing and then went oh you can do this we made the decision to do it ourselves yeah so we made the decision to get into a place where we're like no we're going to figure this out. And part of that is being like, I'm just going to risk fucking this up over and over and over again until I can do it. And one of the things that frustrates me is when people take that for granted mm. that as a producer that I have just inherited this knowledge or that I've gone to a course or someone sat down and taught me and then expect me to do that for them. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I stare at spreadsheets and Google and figure out and go back to my old GCSE maths textbooks because Christ alive, sometimes I just have to make numbers work. We just have to make numbers work. And remember, there are our own numbers from our own bank account. Oh, <laughs> I love it also when you say we we didn't get a promotion I mean we doubly didn't get a promotion because not only do we have more responsibility we're also earning less money <laughs> like when you're a producer you are the last person who makes anything mm. because everything has to be paid for before you do and again that's the risk you take when you start that in the long term that's going to flip in your favor and it, it doesn't for lots of people that's why putting on shows is a risky business that's why not everybody can do it and everyone has the privilege to do it. You have to be in a position, first of all, where you, you can you can have some wiggle room with some money that you've saved or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely not a promotion. It's a, it's a demotion, essentially. Again, it's, this gets into the, the masochism of our industry, I think, that yeah. you have to really want to go through these horrible, horrible scenarios to get to the gold on the other side. Yeah, there's a scene in, um, in Saw 2 or 3. Oh, I love that you've gone to horror for this. <laughs> Where there's a key dangling, but you have to put your hand through a valve. Like it's sort of, it's like you put, you have to put your hand in through a valve, but as you pull it out, the valve closes and it's just shades of glass, and you have to kind of like drag it back out. That's how financial risk in burlesque is sometimes. <laughs> Enjoy, but yeah, it's it's really interesting, and yeah, when people get tetchy about things, because some some shows will make more than other shows. And then people will be like, oh, but you made so much on that show. And I'm like, yeah, but if I broke it down for you, I would have earned £3.10 an hour. So you want to keep going? Or are we good? Cool. Yeah. Also, like the shows that make money pay for the shows that don't make money. Mm. Uh, we don't consider budgets on a show by show basis. You either do it as a series or you do it as like a, a year overall, depending on how much you're producing. Mm. So, yeah, people are like, we must have earned tons of money. It's packed. I'm like, remember that show when we had four people in? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Sway. Like, it all evens out. 
I will add one more thing onto the financial risk. Everything we're talking about producing a show is exactly the same for producing an act. Oh, 100%. When we've spoken about in the creative process where we've spent thousands of pounds on a costume and people are like, how do you spend that much money on a costume? Trust me, you can because they don't just exist on a hanger in Primark. They don't exist. We have to make them. We have to create them. We work with designers. Yeah, 100%. You, you make this act, you plough all this time and love and money into it and, and all of these things and you take the risk that you'll get work with it. Yeah. And you're always trying to balance off the risk of what you want to create as an artist versus what is going to be commercially successful. If you're a professional artist, you have to do this balance. And again, that the risk, I think, comes into play perfectly there as well, doesn't it? Because yeah. I never want to create acts that I'm just making so I can get booked. I might have one like that for, um, hello, it's my rich grandma's 80th birthday party. I want a fan dance to feeling good. Yeah, no problem, madam. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll pack a bag and I'll be there. But we don't make careers out of that. That is what in the industry we call a rent job, essentially. Yeah. Um, we do this because we want to express our art on stage. Oh, yeah. We do those rent jobs. And yeah, just to be clear, every circus performer has an Alice in Wonderland themed act costume because corporates... Bless your uncreativeness. Anyway, so. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to do Pet Peeves episode. Oh, Shall we talk about reputational risk? I'm really interested where you go with this. So reputational risk, uh, to give some context, um, I talked at the beginning of this podcast about our uh, original burlesque queens, let's call them. Um, so the, the original historical era of burlesque and the risk that those women took to live the lives that they wanted to live. And... We live in a freer society now, but we still live in a sexist, patriarchal, body-shaming, censorship-ridden, prudish society. And so I think it's easy to forget that genuinely people have put their reputations on risk to do burlesque. I have been very fortunate to hold my hand up and say that I've not really encountered this in my career. But I was talking about burlesque the other day with one of my performers, and we were remembering the time that she lost a job because she did burlesque so she was offered a job in a very corporate company she hadn't started yet so they'd made the offer they were just about to get her to sign a contract then they'd googled her somehow came across her performing name and this is another reason why we have alternative names saw that she did a burlesque routine and they rescinded their job offer that is a very real risk impact of doing this job i know two teachers in our industry have been fired after they have been found out about via someone on Facebook or some angry parent or something. It's a horrible, awful, and it's something that I haven't really encountered that much aspects, but until this pandemic, it's the first time in eight years where I'm having to consider actual wage employment because our future is still very uncertain and I was a performer before this so I was living pretty much hand to mouth Mm. so everything that I had earned over Christmas season and all that time is now depleted I'm out the reason I'm going to survive another couple of months is because I'm lucky enough to get the Arts Council artist COVID funding if I hadn't got that I have no idea well I, I got some online hustle and I've sold some nudes and things like that it's fine I am making money out of this bush but this this kind of like do the hustle in my head it's just it's just sorry carry on my bush doing it my head too (laughs) and it's green (laughs) oh i'm gonna dye it because it's so big at the moment um weirdly it's been requested a lot anyway that's deviating but we'll get into that in the sex work episode um what was i saying brain oh yeah so i'm applying for jobs and there's this huge chunk of my cv which is the last seven years of my full-time employment as a performer and all the amazing things that I've achieved and established there's a huge chunk of my CV where I'm explaining to people that I've been full-time employed for this period of time as a burlesque performer but people don't see the fact that I'm my own manager my own accounts my own everything uh designer creative that I am this independent soul who's made a career out of a very difficult industry Um, And just gotten to a place where I'm kind of okay financially wise. I'm paying off debts, which is amazing to be able to do in our line of work. And employers don't look at that and see that. It just doesn't exist. They just see burlesque dancer. 
So I'm applying for things like delivery driver and these are all great jobs and absolutely fine and not crediting, but I'm not able to apply for jobs that I would actually, what I would be good at, even though I'd be an incredible delivery driver, like managerial jobs or anything in management I'd be quite good at or anything in communications really good at but no one sees that or understands that because a lot of people don't consider this as a legitimate career the same way they don't see I don't know mother as like a reason for unemployment or anything like that yeah 100% oh families <laughs> I come from quite an artsy family but they're also quite conservative and by that I mean old-fashioned or conservative with a small c Although, to be fair, my dad probably does vote Tory. (gasps) Anyway, as you guys know, if you've listened to the first episode, my first ever act was a routine where I would be in the audience and I would be asking them to spank me. And obviously, when I created this routine, I didn't create it with the thought process about what it would feel like to have to do it with my parents watching me. So... Cue the first time I ever performed it in front of them. So they came to see the show and the first troupe I joined with Kitten Club was very uh, singing and dancing and satire and comedy right up their street. It's very old school musical burlesque. It was was a brilliant show. Um, And so I bounced out in my book and suddenly was like, oh my God, this is going to be weird. I'm going to have to do this act in front of my parents. I wonder what they'll think. And I couldn't look at them for about the first half of it. And then I looked over and my dad is crying with laughter. Uh, He's just literally guffawing with laughter. And I was so happy. So I'm not saying it's not been problem free. Uh, Like I said, the first show I did in burlesque was very much musical based. There wasn't huge amounts of striptease. So when I started exploring more striptease based burlesque, uh, there was some friction there. But they mostly kept their opinions to themselves. And in fact, the person who probably had more of a problem was my mother. And we'll get into that in the month episode um but that's a long-winded way of saying i've been very lucky i haven't had lots of issues with my family but i know burlesque performers who either cannot tell their families what they do their families do know and it's been a huge source of controversy some of them have been thrown out the house some of them have had to move out the house like i say some of them hide all of their costumes under their bed and these are grown women of course you have to be over 18 to perform in a burlesque club so yeah have you how has it been with your family or family friends uh i think i'm just going to start by saying that i think you and I, I think you would agree with this, that one of the questions that we used to get asked a lot is, do your parents know? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, as soon as people find out what we do, they're like, oh, what do you do? You're like, oh, I'm a performer. What kind of performer? And then you're like, okay, cool. Am I going to do this? Fantastic. I'm making the decision to do it. And yes, we have to make that decision with strangers. We Sometimes I tell people I'm just a circus performer mm. because I don't want to waste my fucking energy on them. 100%. I'm a singer. Or I'm a drag queen. I don't say that I'm a drag queen because they're like, and I'm just like, ah, oh, it's going to be another 40 minutes of my life wasting it on you bonehead. Oh, oof, hello, aggression. One of the first things we get asked, and I've actually had someone like, come beckon me close while I've been performing on stage, go, go performing. And someone like whisper in my ear, do your parents know what you do? What? (laughs) A, my parents do know what I do. My mum is extremely proud. She loves the idea of burlesque. She loves it. She doesn't necessarily like my burlesque. We've had this discussion. (laughs) She loves Tempest. She fucking loves Tempest. And she fucking loves Betsy Bonbon. She loves Demi Noir. (laughs) But mine, like, why do I have to be so... And I was like, me about it? She's like, yeah. So, um, (laughs) and my mum, she loves it when I perform with you lot. And she loves the glamour of it and she loves it she loves and supports me and she is proud of me it's just a taste thing the same way she doesn't like horror films or things like that i'm probably just uh, hiding a lot of my insecurities around that but we can dive into it in my mother's episode yeah because you literally just said that you're not your mother's taste i am not just my mother's following taste. that sentence yeah, yeah. No, i definitely not <laughs> we've got a, a lot to unpack in the mother episode yeah my dad on the other hand is very proud that i've pursued a career in the arts and he thinks it's great but it's it's a phase Ah, interesting. Would you know what? I just would be so good in the mental health industry or have a, why didn't I just go into podiatry or I well, technically I was going to be a midwife. I did get into uh, midwifery school, but I could always just go back and do that. That's absolutely fine. Along with the recent discussion that I had a few weeks ago, which is like, um, so surely you know that if you're just going to dance around naked, you should just accept that people are going to grab you and touch you that way. Oh my God, are you kidding? From my own father. Okay. So, hi dad, if you're listening to this. Uh, no. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the discussions that I, I have with my parents. So 
there is one side of it where I'm pretty completely proud but doesn't necessarily like the taste of it but the other side of it where someone in my life has just willingly accepted it the same way society accepted it that if something happens to me my career will be brought into the courtroom discussion of why it's happened to oh, me oh 100% and I didn't even put that on my list yeah oh. as women's lives are dragged through the courts if something awful happens to them our careers will be thrown back in our faces and in fact that has happened to somebody I know as well and it's disgusting it's awful it is revolting it's disgusting and it is the horrendous thing which also brings me into the next thing of like one of the simplest risks is that we work at night so we have to get ourselves home a lot and we have to make sure that we're safe and we're literally doing all the things we're told that we shouldn't do as women don't wear too much makeup don't walk alone at night da, 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 da. Well, I can't afford a taxi every night so I have to get the bus but every time I always end up talking to someone who is an absolute creep and an asshole the amount of near misses I'm going to call them in my life are just awful and there is that horrible truth that if anything does happen to me I'm going to sit on a courtroom and someone's going to ask me about what I do for a living and if that's going to come into the discussion and why was I alone at night and why couldn't I just be safer? Ugh, Ugh. 100%. We talked about artistic risk on an individual basis, uh, Mm. but I want to get into the risk of burlesque, as in burlesque's risk by existing. And to circle back to something that we sort of lightly touched on at the beginning, like one of the things I love about burlesque is that it is controversial. And obviously that creates problems on an individual basis, a lot of which we've gone into now. But I I think we need to remember, and some people need to remember, the minute we say we do burlesque, the minute burlesque show comes to town, the minute that, you know, burlesque's existence is there, what we do inherently is risky regardless of the individual choices that we make on the stage. So we've talked about our most risky act, but in a sense, all of our acts are risky. Burlesque is offensive by its very nature to some people. And even part of that is just, it's it's considered risky because it goes against the grain for women to love their bodies. Oh, yeah. Like, that is is a rebellious act if we're kind of linking risk and rebellion on stage. And that's one thing I love about burlesque. Yeah, I think that ties everything together really nicely. We do it knowing all the risks that are there. The way society will view us, the way our family will view us. It's like sometimes when you step into a career in burlesque, you are stepping into the unknown because you'd be surprised the way is a risk and how it affects your life but yeah i it's i've weirdly gotten political and sensitive again why do we keep doing this why can't we just talk about how i didn't fall off that stage one time (laughs) there are no fluffy Uh, episodes (laughs) no fluff just cuff it is it's it is a, a risk and a rebellious act to disregard shame and to disregard the idea that we're supposed to hate ourselves an idea that you talk about on stage all the time that we've been sold thousands and thousands thousands pounds worth of self-hate in order to fund an industry that cripples us further and our ideals of what makes us both beautiful intelligent strong creatures we haven't talked about long-term physical and mental risk to us as performers i can definitely talk about that until the cows come home I've got something weird that clicks in my right knee and I can guarantee it is because for my first three years, I would just jump up in the air and slam down on my knee. And now whenever I walk, I sound like the tin man on my right side. It's like, (laughs) I lie in bed and I always, it's really fun just to bend it and click. And partners are just like, what is wrong with you? And you're like, eh, burlesque, innit? I've also got two patches of flesh that are scarred so badly from power sliding and misjudging the power slide all the time that I have a full on dip in the top of my feet on both sides. Oh, wow. Okay. Where I've just dug at the flesh and the scarring so much that there's just a hole in my foot on both sides, like some weird burlesque foot stigmata. (laughs) I love you've made that Catholic. Oh, yeah. We can make everything Catholic. Oh, my God. I love it. I've got this weird clicking in my hip now. (laughs) 
doesn't hurt but makes me feel physically sick and I do need to I think there's nothing that can be done I've talked to a couple of people about it it's just getting old it's just the industry are getting old am I going to strap on a pair of heels and keep dancing in them yes because I love this job and I'm not giving it up and I'm certainly not wearing flats on stage like we long term damage of course to your body and I guess particularly with you if there if I understand correctly because you do fire performance every time you fire breathe are you slowly poisoning yourself oh yeah I've shortened my life guaranteed I don't fire breathe anymore because I started getting chest pains <laughs> wow <laughs> uh, and if I do more so some nights I'll be two three fire acts in a night and I can feel my lungs struggling and it is awful because even though I don't do any fire breathing anymore I've got toxins constantly going into my mouth and being absorbed into my body and I can feel it like when I do a tour a fire like if I do like two months straight last year I had to take like two weeks off because there is like this physical exhaustion where my body has absorbed toxins every single day and it's just ugh. my dentist actually doesn't charge me I have a dentist for free because they found out I was a fire eater and they were like can I write my paper on you so I get my dentistry for free so that they can watch the deterioration of my teeth oh my god and my gums which is dark but free win and there's obviously um delving into sword swallowing recently that is hugely dangerous and gonna affect me long term but that is something I'm aware of. When people ask me all the time about, but that's dangerous. Why would you do that? And I'm like, I live in London. I drink. You, everyone takes risks in their life because they have made the decision to do it. I have not gone into this thinking, I'm going to be fine. I do it because I love it. And I love freaking you all the fuck out. So I'll continue doing it the same way you're going to continue throwing on those heels because it's what we love. It's what we do. Every risk we do is calculated and examined. Yeah, 100%. I worry, and this is going to sound totally pussy compared to what you just said, but I'm sad. I'm worried there's a day I'm going to have to stop wearing heels. And I will wear heels, no doubt, well past the time that I have any medical advice to tell me to put some flats on, you fucking idiot. Because I love heels. That sounds insane. And that's very small fry. Uh, You worried uh, if you'll one day have to stop doing things like working with fire? Yeah. I don't think I'm worried that I won't be able to do it. For example, of not fire breathing anymore. That decision was quite easy to make because my body just went, no, I think it will be a similar thing where I feel it and I go, no, this is time. There will be a feeling of time. The only time that I think if, if, if I have a horrible accident, for example, if I set myself properly alight and let's be honest, I've set myself on fire so many times. Um, but that's just because fire, sometimes you just accidentally catch things, but you learn how to put it out. It's not the mistake, it's how you deal with it. That is the key of a good sideshow performer. And what I'm scared is one day that there's going to be a mistake that I won't be able to control, put out or sort in the second, and it's going to be beyond what I can do. And that scares me. But because of that fear means that I will always be vigilant. I'll always be professional and I'll always take a calculated risk. I will never be an idiot again because I've definitely been an idiot I lost all my eyebrows once (laughs) let's not talk about it but I did same with like sword swallowing like going into it there is a risk there's there is a saying in sword swallowing that it's not if it's when yeah um so it's like that and how bad is it gonna be yeah so it's like yeah like sword swallowers shouldn't technically swallow on their period things like that really why interesting there's a really amazing article I won't go into it because it's quite long but it's the way your body does change and you know it's the simplest thing as well you know when we talk about our balance on stage on our periods yeah gosh of course mm. but I can do a whole thing on that but I'll just save it for another episode but yeah so it's like these risks are great and they'll keep us going my parents are both podiatrists so the heels thing is lols going around to yours for treatment well not yours but your parents oh yeah oh my mum still wears heels when she treats feet so it's fine my dad on the other hand was like so I saw these like these heels in this book that you could like wear. Like, and it's like um, an orthopedic shoe book and the heels like an inch and a half. And he's like, yeah, wouldn't you would prefer wearing something a bit more comfortable like these on stage? I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, honey, we don't do it for the comfort. Yeah. Um, also, mental health is really interesting. What are you going to say on that one? I find mental health mixed with performing fascinating because I feel that there's this two strands to it which is that if you do this like we do it whereby it's a 
it's a vocation. I I cannot not perform. I tried once when I was younger and it made me incredibly unhappy. I will be a performer or always, whether I'm performing or not. It's just something that's in me. I have this need. I need to do it. It makes me happy. The way our industry is structured, which I think can only be changed to an extent, I do think grates on your mental health. And that's why discipline is important and kind of working out self-care as a performer. But I think it's something that needs to be more acknowledged in burlesque because if you go to drama school, they are very, very blunt with you about the fact that this career you're going into is hard. It's hard on your mental health. It's hard on your personal relationships. You will miss birthday parties. You will lose friends. You will probably never be able to buy a house. Statistically, you know, statistically, very few people are in work. And you're told all these things when you go to drum school and you, you have to accept them with your eyes open. But we don't really tend to have these discussions in burlesque about you need a mental health resilience because although we can make and we should make our industry better for people to to feel more secure in to put you know safeguards in the process I think of suppressing your personal feelings and going on stage and being vulnerable and accepting anxiety and putting yourself out there for critique for example or for rejection is wearing and I think to counteract that you you have to love what we do you have to step on stage and feel this is the happiest place and everything that's negative about it is worth it in the long run mm. what do you think no yeah no i agree um i'm quite fortunate in the fact that that always switches over there is a, there's a moment when lolo kicks in and i mm. i'm very lucky because it's a coping mechanism in some ways i agree where i found out my friends passed away while i've been doing my makeup i've put down the phone and continued doing my makeup got on stage got home and for some reason it's like i just put down the phone yeah it's really interesting and it's weird and there should be more scope for mental health support in the industry and there is a blind acceptance that the arts is just hard so you just deal with it and hopefully that will continue to change there is more discussion around it this is also because a lot a lot of the problems comes from like financial Mm. strain and producers higher up and talking about mental health in itself is really 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 important yeah especially agree with you with like losing friends there are people who you will lose in your life not because they don't like what you do or anything like that it's just because one day you'll miss the fourth birthday because it's a friday night and you've got to work there's no other option you can't just take off work and they just slip away Mm. and it's sad and you love them but it's just how it works I'm very lucky to have friends from when I was a baby still in my life and they have forgiven every missed birthday or Christmas party they have come to my shows those are good people and you want to keep those people in your life and that should show into your romantic relationships as well if a romantic relationship really starts restraining your career, that's a really bad sign. Mm. Start getting out or changing it because, oof, have yeah. we been there? Oh, yeah, that's a massive red flag. And again, I think that's um, something that's quite hard to understand from the outside. In the same way that people have said, well, you know, what do your parents think? We also get asked what our partners think. And also, it's rarely it's rarely partners. It's always, what does your boyfriend think? Or what does your husband think? <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> exactly. And there is a school of thought that believes wholeheartedly, otherwise they wouldn't ask the question, that there is something kind of wrong with what we do. Ergo, there must be something either wrong with our partners for accepting it, or it's completely understandable if they have a problem with it. Whereas I agree with you, red flag, get out. Or at least deeply reassess your relationship. Because essentially what your partner is saying is, I have a problem with you being the fullest Mm. version of yourself. Yeah, and it's something that's happened to me. And it's also something that's snuck in as well. It's snuck in and it's small. And it will start with, oh, but you never spend any Saturday evenings with me. Oh, you know, and it sneaks in and it grates at you and it is toxic as hell and when anyone says anything like that in a way that is like oh but you're always working remember that you're working when they're not that's the only reason they know Mm. it's because you work a different time if they start having issues with it turn up at their office at two o'clock in the afternoon on a tuesday and be like 
Wanna hang? <laughs> oh, please do that. <laughs> It's infuriating, um, but yeah, we, we we should do relate. We should do relationships and burlesque. I could talk for days. Yeah. What other risks have we got? I actually, I think that's accounted for all my risks pretty much. Yeah, that's uh, done all mine as well. I mean, there's loads I could talk about performing and mental health. Well, that is another topic. So yeah, I think I'd enjoy doing a performing and mental health one, especially the t- the safeguards and coping mechanisms we've put in place to ensure that we can still do the shows. I'd be re- I, there's a definitely hour in there, easy peasy. Yeah. The only thing I was going to say is that we have um we've experienced a failed risk together, which is when I whip cracked you in the arm. <laughs> I wouldn't give that up for for anything. I love when things go wrong, lols. Uh, yeah. They're my best on stage memories. Um, and on a lesser risk, when we totally failed to pop the balloon with the whip. Oh, yeah. So many times. It was the worst. Also, I've got a really interesting thing that we didn't acknowledge at the beginning of the episode, but it's something that we should, as the audience, the reason that you come to live shows and everything that we do and the reason that you engage with art on this level is risk. So never question our calculated risks because that is exactly why you're there. Absolutely, 100%. That was fun. Ah, you're interesting. You've got opinions. Well done, you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. I love it when you patronise me. Makes Who's a good little like tempest? Time. Who's a good little ah. rosy rose? Who's a good little tempest? Yes, you are. Who's the best? Who's the best? Yeah. Who's the best? Who's the best? Yeah. Who's the best? Yeah. Who's the best? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's essentially what goes on when we perform on stage and the audience claps. Yeah, that is. Love me, please. <clears throat> It's not burlesque unless you've argued about why you can't hang out in the changing room with us. <laughs> yeah. It's not burlesque unless you understand what SS16AB means. That's very nice. I like that. It took me a second. I was like, fuck, do I not know what that means? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm good. I'm good. I've still got a career. Oh, it's not burlesque unless you've tested whether or not you can smell it from four feet away. 100% that's my life apart from for the few weeks after the great wash of January once every five years it's not burlesque unless you can do a whole dance routine with a crystal stuck to the sole of your shoe oh oh I hate that so much the worst oh the worst I'll add on top of that one it's not burlesque unless you've got on a rhinestone on the inside of your stocking oh <laughs> it's so sharp and grating. it's awful it's not burlesque unless you can make £20 look like 200 As we draw this episode to a close, Tempest, do you have anything that you want to add? I do indeed. Remember, folks, you can stay up to date by following us both online. I am at Lolo Brow everywhere except my PayPal, which is the Lolo Brow. Don't give money to Lolo Brow. They're not me. And I am at H-O-B Tempest Rose on Twitter, which I never use, Instagram, Facebook, and also on our Patreon. Today's and all episodes have been edited and produced by Rich Newham. Check him out at I Might Be Wrong UK. And thank you to Rosie Verbose for our beautiful music at the end of this episode and our previous episodes. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be notified as soon as the new episode drops. And also give us a rating on Spotify and Apple Music. And when I say give us a rating, I obviously mean five stars because we're needy and we need to make our parents proud. And don't forget to tune in on Thursdays on Instagram Live, where Tempest and myself will discuss the next topic live before your very eyes. And you can vote for what we discuss next. You can find that at HOB Tempest Rose at 6pm every Thursday. That's the actual information. Well done. Thank you. You're welcome. Otherwise, dear folks, uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. So you wanna be a showgirl, a star of cabaret But the closure of the theatres leaves a hole in your heart and in your day Well here's two artists who miss burlesque gigs, performing and acting moronic People who, when life gives them lemons, just slice them up for a gin and tonic Put the mock in mocktail, the cock in cocktail Let them show you how It's gin salt with Tempest Rose And low, low brow Give us your attention
And remember, folks, that this episode and all episodes have been sponsored by The End of the World. <laughs>